so let's unpack this a little more. My parasocial. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we were almost there. We were almost there. Dear Hollywood, the psychology of fame. Before we get into today's episode, it's time to pay my electricity bill for all these lights that we're using. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. I don't know about you, but I love fall foods. However, I don't love spending forever planning meals, shopping for ingredients, and cooking them. Well, HelloFresh has their fall lineup, and you can take your pick from 40 weekly recipes that suit your lifestyle, whether that's veggie or family-friendly or fit and wholesome, and it's delivered straight to your door. Just so you know, it's more than just dinners. We're talking easy breakfasts, quick lunches, fresh snacks. Just shop HelloFresh Market and add any of these tasty time-saving solutions to your weekly box. In my box is vegan shawarma spiced chickpeas. Mm. My roommate actually is convinced that I am becoming a decent chef, so maybe I can use this for some first dates. Ah! Anyways, I have a discount for you. Go to HelloFresh.com slash DearFreshFree and use code DearFreshFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash DearFreshFree with code DearFreshFree. Let us proceed. A 2012 study revealed desiring fame purely just to be famous was the top future ambition among a group of 10 to 12-year-olds. More than being wealthy, achieving something great, and having a strong community. Those kids are now 23 to 25, and I wonder how it's going. It's hardly elusive what hooks the human heart and mind to fame. It's framed as a way to satisfy a whole hierarchy of biological needs. You have access to wealth and resources to cover your food, water, shelter, and then some. You are loved by many and feel a sense of social belonging and recognition. You can fulfill your greatest potential without any barriers. Gone are the days of scraping pennies and stressing over money, of cleaning up messes around the house, of mowing your own grass. You have an in-home chef, cleaning and landscaping team, and executive assistant. No more feeling voiceless and invisible. People worship you. And actually, fame even helps you become immortal because your name and likeness live on to inspire the world for generations to come. There are lots of reasons and motives that people are consciously and unconsciously drawn to fame. Dara Greenwood, Christopher Long, and Sonia Dalsin, apologies for any mispronunciations, categorized three factors of fame, visibility, status, and prosocial, and then examined how specific internal needs correspond to how appealing these factors are to people. We may not want to admit that this applies to us, but the research revealed that people who had a higher need for belonging found all three factors, visibility, status, and prosocial, more appealing. Those who had a higher need for relatedness were more drawn to the prosocial fame factor. Those exhibiting narcissism found appeal in visibility and status. And plenty of research shows that many people, regardless of position, identity, and life experiences, find themselves daydreaming about having their 15 minutes of fame or a luxurious, famous lifestyle, whatever that looks like for them. 
We all end up seeking to meet these needs of personal significance, a sense of connection to something or someone, a sense of contribution to the world in our own ways. Sometimes notoriety or status via Hollywood and social media are the chosen backdrop, on purpose or on accident. All that said, fame pretty much never lives up to the illusory promise. Attention does not equal love. Deep networks do not equal belonging. Media coverage doesn't mean you're actually paid. In fact, fame is often a net negative experience that brings more complications than anticipated. It does have perks and privileges, no doubt or denial there. But here are some startling findings from Jib Fowles, Foles, Fowles, sorry, author of Starstruck, Celebrity Performers and the American Public. I found this via Dr. Christina Villarreal. Again, apologies for any mispronunciations on anyone's names. Foles found that the average age of death for celebrities overall was 58, compared to an average of 72 years for other Americans. 14-year difference. His findings also revealed that celebrities are almost four times more likely to die by suicide than the average American. We hear famous people talk about struggling with their mental health, having tumultuous relationships. We see the headlines for some who have died by suicide, though many more share the same fate and receive no coverage, like all things in the world. So if this is the case, then what is fame really like? What is it about? Do you still want to be famous if you're going to die over a decade sooner? I don't. And now let's apply this to our topic of child stardom. If you become famous as a kid, and we've demonstrated that fame is a stressful, taxing, and addictive experience, and science has proven that stress and addiction in childhood have deleterious effects on brain chemistry and development, what shall we do about famous children? More deliberately, about adults who willingly subject children to fame and participate in an industry and larger culture that perpetuates child stardom that celebrates it even. Before I go any further, I recognize there are a lot of reasons you might be put off by the idea of empathizing with famous people. And I'm not trying to convince you they're worthy of pity. I'm more interested in conveying how fame can be toxic for everyone, famous or non-famous. As a society, we've done something really interesting where We've created an illusion of separation between us, a perceived disconnection and disparity between one human and another, which, yes, then leads to real material outcomes in lived reality. On the one hand, this illusion of separation allows us to elevate someone to superhuman status as if they are superior to us, and on the other, we can actually dehumanize them or treat them as subhuman, lesser than ourselves. History co-signs this. Hollywood plays with this two-sided coin, where on one side the media creates this image of celebrity perfection that is unattainable and unrelatable, and on the other, scrutinizes stars for their imperfect appearance and behavior. On one hand, celebrities have to uphold this idealized image in order to keep the machine running, keep us admiring. On the other, our expectations of their character and personality are so low that they get praised for being down to earth, as if they deserve a medal for being normal. 
Now, it's not just Hollywood that plays with this illusion of separation. Corporations and governments and other systems rely on this illusion of separation and status because how else do they sell us shit we think we need and keep us relatively in order? There's real utility at play. And the greater the perceived distance we have between us and them, the easier it seems to be to either idolize or dehumanize someone. So today, I want to highlight several elements of the experience of fame for you so that you can basically taste it firsthand, if you haven't already. I'm going to explain the psychological process of adapting to fame. We're going to talk about parasocial relationships, learning how to differentiate the famous version of yourself from your authentic self, whether or not it's a famous person's responsibility to be a good role model, what it's like to be memorialized as a younger version of yourself, and also the dreaded reality of losing fame and becoming irrelevant. First, fame has been researched a fair amount, and it has been found that the experience of fame actually mirrors the symptoms of addiction and substance abuse. This happens within a larger arc that Donna Rockwell wrote about. She said, developmentally, the celebrity, and feel free to pretend this is you for the thought experiment of it all, often goes through a process of first loving, then hating fame, next becoming addicted, next accepting the dependency, finally adapting to it as their reality. If it has been demonstrated that fame has addictive properties that mirror substance abuse, what does that mean about us subjecting a child to the drug of fame? Getting a child hooked on something that is remapping their brain chemistry and altering their development forever? Let me know in the comments. Next, parasocial relationships with celebrities. So, still pretending that you're the celebrity, what are parasocial relationships? Parasocial relationships describe the one-sided relationships that your fans have with you where they are invested and interested in your life, have a psychological and emotional tie to you, yet you are unaware of their existence and this supposed connection. Parasocial relationships can happen with celebrities and fans, but also with everyday humans you encounter, or with fictional characters in a show, or an influencer online, an activist, perhaps someone else in your life. This term originated when two people, last names Horton and Wool, were examining intimacy that takes place at a distance via mass communication. Intimacy at a distance via mass communication. There are levels and degrees of parasocial connection. One might have a single momentary parasocial interaction. One might have a full-on parasocial relationship. One might even form a parasocial attachment. Yes, if you're a celebrity, that means if something happens to you and you're no longer available or accessible to your superfans, it could cause a parasocial breakup in their mind. If a celebrity dies, we'll pretend it's not you this time, it can elicit real mourning and grief. If a celebrity falls from grace, it could cause a real sense of betrayal that has physiological effects like they actually knew the person closely. This may sound extreme or silly, but... I invite you to reflect on ways that certain stories or characters have had special meaning for you over the years, and that if someone spoke ill of your favorite movie or performer, you might feel a little protective, 
Or maybe you've built certain traditions around a movie during the holidays, and you rewatch that movie to reconnect to the themes, the character, the feeling. If you think you aren't a part of this phenomenon, you should know that the research shows likely all of us engage in some form of parasocial relationship when it comes to the media, especially social media. So release the role of being the celebrity now and shift into the role of the audience for a moment. Bring to mind someone in the public eye who you really like. Maybe someone you follow. Could be a comedian, an athlete, chef, community organizer, whatever. Someone you know but who doesn't know you. Why did you initially start following them? As in what was the origin of your parasocial connection? What do you know about them? What qualities do you most admire or disdain? Now, let's take a moment to recognize that while we have a connection to them, they do not know us personally. They don't even know we exist. And actually, we don't know them personally either. Our view of them is quite opaque, quite curated, limited to whatever they choose to disclose and represent publicly, shaped by public commentary, measured by society's current norms and ideals. We know loosely of their persona. Sit with the reality of that for a moment. Notice any thoughts or emotions that arise when considering your connection to not a person, but a persona of a person. What comes up? Maybe sadness about feeling the distance, curiosity around whether your perception of them is accurate or false, maybe a little embarrassment for admitting this one-sided adoration, maybe fear of your own gullibility. Are you being duped? Maybe there's a sense of pride and defensiveness around their goodness. Just notice without judgment. Now picture them doing something bad, however you define bad. Committing a crime or standing for a cause you disagree with. How do you react and respond? What standards do you hold them to? Are you more lax? Do they get second chances? Are you disappointed? Do you villainize them and cut them off? Just notice if there's a skewed set of standards within this parasocial connection, one way or another. Now, as my former partner pointed out while we were discussing this topic, it's important to acknowledge that our knee-jerk emotional responses to people and their behaviors are likely not going to be exactly the same as our rational responses once we've taken some time to process and reflect. But with celebrities, we often give them our knee-jerk response. And your emotional response for this person, whether positive or negative or mixed, is shaped by the beliefs you already have about yourself and the world. It's shaped by your stage of development and self-awareness. This influences what you are projecting onto them within the connection, right? Ah, yes. You thought it was actually only about them? Let us turn the focus inward here. What's really going on? As this person becomes an object of your attention, a parasocial connection, what did they or do they represent for you? Are they a beacon of hope? A symbol of tradition? Do they represent the future you want to see? The best or worst of humanity? What aspect of your identity feels seen and validated or unseen and invalidated? What needs are being met in this parasocial connection? As you explore your connection to this persona, do you think 
what you think of them says more about who they really are or more about you and who you think they are and who you think you are and how you think the world ought to be and what you believe is good and bad. Let's unpack this a little more, my parasocial buddies. So then, of course, we can relate this to child stardom. If you're not already familiar with the term projections, I am not a psychologist. Please fact check me. But here's my working definition. Projecting is essentially mislabeling what you're experiencing inside as if it's coming from or happening on the outside. And this can be positive or negative. For example, there may be traits that you don't like about yourself, but instead of interpreting it as your own negative trait, you spot them and attribute them to someone else. Like, my best friend is so condescending and judgmental, when in reality, you're criticizing them. In that case, projection is used as more of a defense mechanism, where we externalize the negative qualities we don't want to accept in ourselves as being qualities another person has. On the other hand, Projection could take the form of what Carl Jung talks about as the golden shadow, which is when we, like, super admire someone. They're amazing to us. And this bright light, the halo we see around them is comprised of the desirable qualities we've disowned in ourselves or believe we don't possess. Maybe we just haven't cultivated them yet. Some call it projecting your own unrealized potential. Like Serena Williams, her dedication, work ethic, power, agility, ugh, how I wish I could be this excellent. In some ways, she's radiant in a way I cannot see myself. And I don't just mean that I'm bad at tennis, but you get the gist. Now, let's land the plane on this idea of projection. In my observation, at least in the U.S., we have certain societal norms where we really don't want to be viewed as a bad person. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to look dumb. And we often go to great lengths to protect our reputation, to make sure we're seen as good, right, and smart. In doing so, we sometimes deny our messy, negative, dangerous, unhealed parts. If this is the case, and we link this to the idea of parasocial connections, we find that famous people are great, convenient targets to project these qualities. If the celebrity is bad, wrong, and dumb in our eyes, we can hate on them. Conversely, if the celebrity is good, right, and smart in our eyes, we can idolize them. Either way, their perceived distance from us and the illusion of separation between us and them creates room to spew all kinds of opinions without ever having to face the consequences of the celebrity responding. Instead of observing our reactions to celebrities as a way of reflecting on the unintegrated parts within us, light and shadow, we can just offload these parts onto them and move on with our day as we are. Now, in the case of our projected heroes, we feel a sense of intimacy with them. There's a sense of purpose they fulfill for us, and this makes them great candidates for our golden shadow. They give us a hope that this idealized human form is attainable, greatness larger than lifeness either we might one day become like them or we can let them take on the burden of being the idolized human and cheer idly from our porch for them to be the brave hero that we need since 
We sure aren't stepping up. We're just ordinary. They are extraordinary. Is this sparking any thoughts? Feel free to share those below. Well, what are some of the benefits and risks of parasocial connections? Benefits could be that your idols help you believe in yourself and increase your self-confidence. It could provide a sense of visibility for identities that you hold that you don't typically see represented. They could inspire action for a cause. They could even be the reason someone holds on a little longer. Your idol might get you through a dark night of the soul, and that's real. However, some risks might be that parasocial connections come to replace real-life, in-person, transparent relationships. There's a risk of us getting way too involved in other people's business, as if it's totally acceptable for us to know strangers' private lives. There's a risk of things escalating to a certain kind of hysteria, fanaticism, obsession that has an actual effect on your health. Like, when your favorite celebrity hurts themselves, it could be destabilizing, triggering, and ultimately something that promotes harmful behavior in your own life. Parasocial relationships can also evolve into stalking. One risk I want to be sure to include is that parasocial relationships are always only part of the story. Further, they're only your interpretation of a part of a story. Celebrating a hero, scorning a villain, focusing only on certain aspects guarantees we're only ever holding a partial story. And to view a partial story as if it's the full story is to what? Deceive ourselves. To obstruct ourselves from seeing the whole truth. And that's not helpful. It is playing into the illusion of separation. We are then allowing ourselves to be in agreement with that construct of separation, distance, projection. So the next time you hear anything about someone who's famous, remember all of this. Let it give you a new way of hearing, interpreting, exploring, responding to information. What do you think we should do about parasocial connections? And further, when we see kids involved, kids in viral videos who are getting attention and going on television shows, kids who are young professional athletes and actors who we're rooting for, kids who played the roles we connected to as kids ourselves. What should we do? Let me know your thoughts. Next, I will dig into the part of being famous where you don't know which version of yourself is the famous one and which one is the authentic you. Who's ready for an identity crisis? Let's go! See you next week. On the next episode. So let's identify the main qualities that have created your main persona. The versions of yourself that come forward when you encounter strangers. What is your persona?